Today, we're going to be starting a new series called Kingdom Principles. Originally, I was calling it Principles, and Emily's like, I think it needs to say Kingdom Principles. It'll make more sense, and that's so true. But what an awesome transition for Matt playing a song to remind us that the battle is the Lord's. And so we're going to be taking a look at different kingdom principles on how God works and how we can best understand what he's doing. For we don't have the mind of Christ. We don't know everything that he does. And so we need to be focused on what his word says to better understand the way he does things or how we can grow and how we can live as Christians. And so today I want to talk about something that churches, you know, as years end and then a new year's begin or a new year begins, pastors everywhere, church boards, congregation members, ministry leaders, they all take a look at this uh, question. And that is, how can we grow our church or how does a church grow? I think most church members, I know most pastors would love to see growth in their church, both spiritually and also numerically. And every year, pastors and boards and, and different people, they try to figure this out and people develop different marketing strategies. Pastors work on improving their sermons. Maybe they go and take more classes on sermons. They listen to other pastors as well. Millions and millions of dollars are spent improving buildings and buying different kinds of curriculum and utilizing technology and social media. Sometimes churches also hire growth experts or people that can help to give advice and strategies on how to grow your church. Now, don't get me wrong. All of these things are great. They're so helpful. And in the right situation, in the right circumstances, they can aid a church. But none of them are what grows a church. 50 days after Jesus' uh, resurrection, an important event occurred, Pentecost. And two incredible things that are so important to help us understand how a church grows happened during Pentecost. One, the Holy Spirit fell on all believers, and then the New Testament church began. I want to read from Acts 2, verses 37 through 47 from the NASB, and it says this. It says, now when they heard this, and this is basically sharing about Jesus, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what are we to do? And I love where it said pierced to the heart. They were convicted when they heard the gospel message. Peter said to them, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far away, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on urging them saying, be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received were who received his word were baptized. And that day there were added about 3,000 souls. And typically when these numbers were gathered, they weren't considering children and women. So 3,000 souls, it could be way, way more than that. Maybe double, maybe more than that. They were continually devo uh, devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all the believers 
were together and had all things in common and they would sell their property and possessions and would share them with all to the extent that anyone that had need to the extent that anyone had need sorry about that day by day continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart praising God and having favor with all of the people and the lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved again that passage tells us that the lord was adding to their number day by day. So ultimately, it's God that grows a church. And this is such an important principle for us to understand. But if God grows his church, and I said his because we're not just talking about our church locally, we're not just talking about Peninsula Hope, we're talking about all churches everywhere. We are talking about the kingdom of God. If God is the one that grows the church, do we need to do anything? Do we have a role? Let's go back to that passage. Let's go back to Acts 2, 37 through 47 and see what all is happening to see if we have a role in this. When you look at that passage, you'll see that the gospel was shared. That was the first thing that was happening is that the disciples were sharing the gospel. And people were convicted. They were pierced to the heart. That meant they felt something. They were challenged or they just, ah, they just knew something was wrong with the way they were living their lives. And they knew this because they were being taught. They were being told. They were being, um, basically, they were hearing the gospel message. And then because of that, they started asking questions. And then the disciples, in this case, Peter, he shares more of the gospel. He shares a little more detail. And it says that other words, their testimonies were shared. So they're sharing their own experiences about perhaps maybe how they came to know Jesus, maybe what happened, miracles that they've seen. It doesn't necessarily say all the details, but they shared more information. And then we see that people repented of their sins and they came to Christ. And then after that, they devoted themselves to teaching about Christ. So they're learning also, Christian fellowship, they're getting together, they're encouraging one another in prayer. And then the passage tells us they were of one mind in the temple. So this body of Christ, this local church specifically here, they were united. And that's what God intended. He wants the church, both locally and globally, the kingdom of God, to be united, not to be fighting with each other. They were united. And then it ends by saying, and everyone cared for one another. They took care of each other. They sold their property in order to have finances to care for others. And then God grew the church. So we do have a role. We have lots of things that we want to do. But I want to dig deeper into one specific aspect of our role as members of a church, which we've already established is completely dependent on God. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 6 through 7 in the NASB, it says this. It says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants or the one who waters is anything, 
but God who causes the growth. This verse, it reiterates that a church's growth and a person's spiritual growth are only possible through God. He's the one that makes things happen. But Paul and Apollos, they needed to plant seeds and to water them. And when we plant seeds, we're talking about planting the gospel message. And this really doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, using scripture. It could also be the way you live your life. It's anything that clearly points to Jesus and salvation through him. But most traditionally, and probably the best way to do it would be sharing the gospel message of salvation through the repentance of sin and forgiveness of the sins of Jesus and then belief in him. But planting seeds is planting that message in people. And then we also have to water. That means we're discipling people. We're teaching them about Jesus. We're explaining more things, more questions they may have. We're answering them. We're also challenging them. Maybe they're living their lives in ways or they're doing things that aren't uh, in accordance with the Bible. And so we're instructing them. That's part of watering. And then we're also encouraging them not to give up, to push a little harder. We need to do both of those things as part of the body of Christ. As Christians, we need to plant seeds and we need to water them. Mark 4, verses 26 through 29 takes this concept a little bit further. And so I'm going to be reading again from the NASB and it says, and he was saying the kingdom of God is like a man who casts seeds upon the soil and he goes to bed at night and gets up early and the seed sprouts and grows. How? He himself does not know. The soil produces crops by itself. First the stock, then the head, then the mature grain in the head. Now, when the crop permits, he immediately puts the sickle, puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. So along with people planting seeds and watering them, along with us sharing the gospel to people and then helping people, teaching them and encouraging them in the gospel and how to live as Christians, the soil is significant. You know, where are these people being planted? These people that are learning about Jesus, are they in a Bible-teaching, Bible-believing church? Do they have people around them? So just like soil that has fertilizers and nutrients, things to help it grow, the soil is important after we share the gospel message with people. And then I love this, and, and, it, and it's so convicting, especially, you know, for someone like me who just goes out and wants to share the gospel with anybody, this is so important to remember that the crop needs to permit when it's ready. In other words, until a person's heart is convicted of their sin, until a person truly repents, until they really want to be in God's presence, until they're ready to do that, until they have that heart tug, that heart pull, you know, they won't change. And we have to understand that. That seed won't take root until they're ready. And so we need to be patient. So after planting seeds of the gospel, you'll probably hear things like, thanks, but no thanks. That's not for me. I, I'm checking out different options. Or here's one I hear a lot. It's, does that mean if I'm a Christian, I can't have any more fun? But despite hearing that, we can't let that reality, that that may be people's responses, keep us from planting seeds. We're called to share the gospel message and to continue watering them. 
So we need to ask ourselves, what seeds am I planting? Who have I shared the gospel message with? Whether it's very directly through the Bible, or maybe it's how I'm living my lives and making it very obvious. And then what seeds am I watering? How am I pouring into people that are already Christians, or maybe they're right on the cusp of making a decision? Now, you may be saying this to yourself. I've heard people tell me this. They'll say, hey, well, I've, been, I've invited people to church or, you know, they know I'm a Christian. Well, does a farmer plant one seed and quit? No. A farmer cares for the seed and he plants others. Maybe down the road, you invite that person again to church. Maybe you send them a verse. Maybe you give them a Bible. But in the meantime, are you praying for God to soften their hearts toward him? Are you asking God to provide you more opportunities to plant seeds in other people and to water them? And while we absolutely want our lives to point to Christ, we want people to know that we are Christians, no doubt about that. Did a seed ever grow by it knowing someone was a farmer or for those that are really you know that you care about your health did you ever lose weight or did you gain muscle by knowing someone was a personal trainer of course not you needed their help you needed their guidance and their advice you know church if we are really being honest with ourselves the reason why it's difficult for us to share the gospel message with any kind of regularity the reason why it's hard to talk about salvation through Jesus on a regular basis is we lack the proper motivation. A couple of weeks ago, I had to go get a smog check. And so I had to get my uh, emissions test done. And I'll be really honest with you. That is something that I hate to do. And so I put it off. I think we got the, the little uh, kind of warning or a reminder, or whatever you call it, you know, that back in December. And it was sitting on the refrigerator Till about two weeks ago. I mean, I had waited and I had postponed. And so, you know, it, it's because running those kind of errands, they're just so annoying because you have to sit there and it takes time. And so, you know, I kept putting it off and putting it off until I was maybe within 10 days or less of when I had to have this done. And it was at that time that it finally sat in that realization of if I don't get this done right away, I'm not going to be able to drive legally and I'm going to be paying fines. And so I quickly motivated because there was a consequence. So what should motivate all of us to plant the seeds of the gospel and to water them? A farmer, they're motivated to plant seeds because they need food to eat and they need to make a living. It's interesting that along those lines, most Christians, they can recite from memory John 3.16. I had mentioned to our board a week ago, I remember Tim Tebow, he would always wear that under his eyes on his little, like uh, the, the little patches he had, the little shade patch things and John 3.16. And everybody knows what that is. Even people that aren't Christians know that. And it's because within that verse is an incredible motivation to share the gospel. In the NASB, John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world that it gave his only son, 
so that everyone who believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So whatever version of the Bible you read that from or recite it from memory, having eternal life, this is an incredible motivation. I love it. We all love it. And we want to share that. We want to let people know you can have eternal life. But the interesting is, thing is that not so many people can recite verses 17 through 18, which say, For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but so that the world might be saved through him. This is still incredible. Verse 18, the one who believes in him is not judged. The one who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. There's some judgment, and the judgment came from God. So I want to take a few moments to talk about this judgment, because within this judgment is the ultimate motivation for sharing the gospel message. It's interesting that if you do some research, there's some debate on if Jesus actually preached more about hell than he did about heaven. And while there's a lot of argument or a lot of support to say that he did, it really kind of depends on symbolism and the Greek language. And you have to say, did he mean it in this context or what? But I think we can safely say that Jesus preached, about, preached on hell as much as he did about heaven. And oftentimes he preached about them together. And I thought about this because Jesus does that because it is a warning that he's giving us. He's giving humanity a warning when he's preaching about hell. Now think about the warning signs that you see on a daily basis. Stop sign. It's red. It says stop. It tells you what to do. And maybe if you uh, work in a school or if you work in a, um, a laboratory or a hospital, you'll think, see things like caution wet floor and the warning sign has a person kind of slipping. Or maybe if you work around toxic chemicals or poisons, you might actually see a skull. And it's because they're warning signs and they're telling you what can happen. Because if you had a warning sign telling you about poison and had flowers and hearts on it, I don't think it would have the same effect on any of us if we are really being honest with ourselves. Paul expresses that reality in 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1, verses 3 through 10 in the NASAB. And I'm going to ask Emily to read this for us. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers and sisters, as is only fitting, because your faith is increasing abundantly, and the love of each and every one of you toward one another grows ever greater. As a result, we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you indeed are suffering. For after all, it is only right for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted along with us when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These people will pay the penalty of eternal destruction 
away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. When he comes to be glorified among us, among his saints on that day, and to be marveled at among all who have believed, because our testimony to you was believed. Praise God. This passage, it starts out so amazing. It talks about how those who believe, Christians, will, will be blessed. And, and God is so proud of us. He's so happy that we believe in him. And he's there to take care of us, even those of us that have been persecuted for our faith. And it says at the end here that God will be glorified and people will marvel because of our testimony, those who believed in him. But smashed between this, we know that God is going to judge. He's going to be dealing out retribution for those who do not know him, for those who do not obey the gospel message, they will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Church, hell is real. And we need to be motivated by that fact that hell is real. And that is exactly where people are going to end up if they do not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And I know that is not something we want to hear, but here is the reality as well. We are not guaranteed tomorrow. Scripture tells us, logic, science, the world tells us we are not guaranteed tomorrow. We could pass away tonight in our sleep. Now just imagine if someone that you loved dearly passed away without hearing the gospel message. Or maybe they didn't hear enough about Jesus and how he loves us to make that decision and to repent of their sins and accept him as our Lord and Savior. I think it would be hard for any of us to go to bed every night thinking that, that there might have been something we could have said that maybe we could have said a little bit more to help that person. It is ultimately their decision, but we have a role in that. If we want to see our church grow, if we want to see churches grow everywhere, and it's not just about that. That is a byproduct of what happens when we plant seeds. If we want to see the kingdom of God grow, we need to do our part. We need to share the gospel message of salvation the repentance of sins and the belief in Jesus Christ. And we have to be motivated by love. And that love that we have, that love has to be the kind of love that doesn't want to see people suffer. It has to be the love that doesn't want to see all these terrible things happen to people. For you that are parents, grandparents, for us that are siblings or friends, I'm sure we could all say that there are people that we love so much that we would do whatever we can to protect them. And if we could, if we could help them from experiencing certain harm and pain, we would. But that reality has to also apply to eternal life or eternal damnation. It has to. We have to be the kind of church that loves so much that we want to go out and share the gospel message that we want to plant seeds and we want to water them because 
we love, that we will be able to risk people judging us. We will be able to risk if people get angry at us. And I understand we do have to pay attention. We do have to understand that people will not come to Christ until they are ready. But if we don't let people know who Jesus is, the chances that just randomly happen happening are pretty far, few and far between. Jesus can do anything. I always tell people that even if someone didn't hear the gospel message, Jesus could have revealed himself through a vision or, or some other way on their deathbed. And we hear stories of that. But as Christians, we are called to share the gospel message and we can't rely on that. We know God can do anything, but we have to do our part. Scripture tells us that the New Testament church, it grew, that God grew it, but we have to do our part. And that is sharing the gospel message and it's watering, it's encouraging, it's teaching, it's supporting. Our church, we have a vision and mission, and that is to transform the Bay, and, uh, the Bay Area and beyond through the love of Christ. And in that love, there's three things that we need to do. First, we need to learn about Christ. We have to understand who he is. We have to learn as much as we can. That's where the first L is we're learning about him. And then we need to live for Christ. We have to live the way the Bible is telling us to. And when we do that, we'll be motivated because we are living for Christ and we're learning about him to lead others to Christ. Those three L's, that's how we are going to love. That's how we are going to do our part in transforming the Bay Area and beyond us by loving others through Christ, through learning, living, and leading. Lord Jesus, we love you so much. Lord, and I pray that you would help us to love others, Lord. Help us to love others in such an incredible and bold way, Lord, that we will put aside our fears. We will put aside our worries, how we look or what people think about us, Lord, in order to share the gospel message of salvation through you. Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit would guide us in the words we speak, in that perfect timing, Lord. But I pray that we would never be afraid, that we would be bold. We'd have the boldness to speak the truth. And Lord, in the meantime, until you present us those opportunities, whether they're coming tonight or tomorrow or every single day, Lord Jesus, I pray, Lord, that you would be softening the hearts of our unsaved family members, our unsaved friends, the unsaved neighbors we have, the unsaved strangers we don't even know. Lord, as Matt mentioned earlier about talking to a barista, Lord, I pray that even in conversations like that, Lord, we would reflect you, that we could point everything we do back to you, Lord Jesus. I pray that in the grocery store, at the smog check place, Lord, wherever we are, Lord, we would share the gospel message, Lord, and salvation through you. Lord, we love you. Lord, thank you that at some point in time in our lives, someone was bold enough and loved us enough, Lord, to share the gospel message with us. Thank you, Lord, for that blessing. Thank you for those individuals, Lord, and for them watering the seeds in us and not giving up on us. Lord, help us to pay it forward to do the very same thing. We pray this in your Lord, in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.